Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You. I am Jennifer White. I'm here with Ellen Trackman, who, as always, is my sister extraordinaire. Thanks. Welcome to our podcast about all things assisted reproductive technology. We have a great guest today. Um, from we have Regina Townsend from the Broken Brown Egg, an incredibly important voice in this area, and we're honored yes. that she was willing to come on. Absolutely. So, Ellen, I know this is a, a a harder topic to address, but it's a really important one that we're all making sure that we're having conversations and talking about. Have you seen any? changes around you due to the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, not as much as needed, of course. Um, course. But interestingly, I live in a neighborhood that is going through being renamed. Uh, So I live in Stapleton of Denver, or previously called Stapleton, which is what the airport used to be called, which is named after a previous uh, Denver mayor who I believe was a member of the KKK. So oh, obviously wow. you can imagine the outrage that there's a neighborhood named after him and so many things named after him. Um, yeah. But it's been really fascinating, this process of renaming. So we received this survey and it was like 300 different names that people had proposed that you had to, oh, rate. Wow. You had to rate, agree, disagree, slightly agree. Um, and some of them were just like, absolutely ridiculous (laughs) but so I'm very curious like what we get renamed as and we'll see if that's determined by uh you know the next few months but uh it'll be be interesting to see our new our new name after some of the the like interesting names have been proposed so you live in neighborhood to be determined later right now yes yeah right now when I write it I like put the asterisks in it you know (laughs) Uh, wow good for you (laughs) that's great yeah. How about you? Are you seeing seeing change? So I, I'm sure, you know, I, luckily we kind of took a break at a, a time that was tumultuous for me personally in that I was moving. So I straddled definitely two different areas and I was moving across oh, the country, coast. which yeah. was, yeah, exactly. I, I moved coast to coast. So it, it made it so that while I was keeping a very keen eye on the news, it made it hard for me personally to like be keeping a local eye on things, but I did. You were in a base, a military base. So, and I was going to say though, because Ryan is in the military, uh, definitely there were a lot of um, town halls, major discussions, uh, really incredible some things. And I think some of this was just timing, but there was a, a black general was the first named during this time frame, And I'm certain that was already in, pro- in process. So that's good that those changes were already being made, but it was so incredible to get to watch and, you know, such a source of pride that the military has in general been a very good equal opportunity for people. And so I'm, I've been proud to be part of that community but also it makes me know that there's so much more that so many other communities need to do as well. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to now being settled and being able to engage a little more and be a little more proactive on, on, on this side of uh, on my new coast now. But in the meantime, I know we really enjoyed talking to Regina and we're very pleased that she was willing to share her story and her life with us. And we hope that everybody feels the same. 
Welcome, Regina Townsend, to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. No, this is like another one of the people I've collected, though, that I met via I've met via Resolve. So I'm I'm loving this. (laughs) So we're really excited to have you here. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So for those who don't already know you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we feel like you're famous already, but for those who don't ne- yet know you, you are the founder and author of The Broken Brown Egg, which is I, maybe to start out as a blog, but it's like a beautiful resource now. How, what, how would you de- describe it? Yeah, that's exactly it. I, um, I started it as a blog. I was a part of an online community called Chocolate Brides in pre-Facebook days, um, which was founded by um, a woman named Keisha Monk. And she founded Chocolate Brides because we found that there weren't, there wasn't a lot of representation of black women in the bridal industry. So when you looked at bridal magazines, you never saw a black bride on the cover. Um, and so she founded Chocolate Brides and it just so happened I was engaged and I <laughs> joined Chocolate Brides and people would, you would create journal. It was, yeah, it was like social media before social media. So people would always be like, you're still talking to those people online. It's so weird. And then now look at the world. Um, but but we would, people would start journals there. They would have all kinds of ways to talk about the planning of their, their uh, wedding. And then people, the community was so great, people would stay. And they would have journals for after the wedding and journals for pregnancy or moving or whatever. And I saw a couple of people talk about not being able to have children or they were doing IVF. And I remember thinking, whoa, I didn't know black people did that. <laughs> and, and I thought that's, that really sucks for them. I'm, I'm hoping everything works out. That's really odd, but okay, you know. Um, and at the same time, in the meantime, in between time, I was having periods that were lasting months. Um, on end, I was to the point where I think at a certain point I wrote to always to tell them thank you for their pads because they were the only ones that I wasn't reading through my clothes. And I I was just getting so, you know, wrapped up in that that I wasn't thinking this might be an issue with me when I want to have kids. Um, And we had decided we were going to wait a couple years anyway. And then when we, when I went off the pill, I realized that for one, I was fighting the periods that would never go away. And then for two, nothing was happening. Um, And so then I had those flashbacks of, oh, my goodness, this is what those other women were talking about. Yeah, at least you had that resource that you could look back and and actually make that connection. That's actually really incredible. Yeah. And so I was just I got so angry one day that I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to start talking about this. And I remember. I went on Facebook and I just started saying like, you know, hey, you know that aunt that always had the kids over for the slumber parties, but never had any of her own. It could be that she couldn't, you know, I just started talking it up. (laughs) I can hear, I can hear little ones in the background. Yes, (laughs) that's all right. I would say that's a spoiler alert that you do end up having kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. So I, I was telling my husband, you know, I felt like we should do something. And so I started blogging about it because when I started saying on Facebook, I started getting these comments from people that were like, thank you for saying that. But it was like in my inbox. Nobody wanted to like be the person right. that commented directly and said, yeah. this is affecting me too. 
Yeah, and I just really started to feel like, oh, so that's the issue. It's not that we don't have these issues. It's that we don't talk about them. Bet, got you. I'm talking. Um, And I just started to talk it up as much as I could. And then I started blogging about it because I was still a part of Chocolate Brides. And on there, in my journal, I would talk about some of these things and trying to find the doctor and trying to, you know, deal with this without having insurance sometimes and and then I realized, you know, this isn't doing anybody a service if they're not on this site. Let me make this a broader thing. And so I started blogging about it way back on Blogger. I, I, have, a, <laughs> I have an old Blogger account somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, started, I started looking and I started trying to find, you know, because at the beginning when you first realize you might have an issue, you don't think to go straight to like resolve. You think, well, that's the National Fertility Association. That's kind of intimidating. You think, first, let me just see what other people are talking right. about. Well, and none of, <laughs> none of us think we have a problem, right? Until like at the beginning. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. You're just like, let me, this isn't real. Let me just, maybe, let me see what somebody else dealt with and I'll see if any of my symptoms are like way, way, way similar. <laughs> Like it has because right. you, you just don't want to admit it to yourself, you know, because the conditioning that we have. So, so tell us about your infertility journey and where you went. Yeah. So first I realized, okay, so maybe this isn't a thyroid condition as everybody keeps telling me. Um, and then I started to talk more about it in my family. And I realized that I had relatives who had endometriosis Um, And I still hadn't heard from anyone who had done anything remotely related to IVF or anything like that. So I was scouring blogs, trying to figure out what steps I could take, what medications I should be looking at, what I should be asking for. Um, And so the first doctor that I went to that actually said, you know, I think I would like to get pregnant and I it's not nothing is happening. She put me on uh, Clomid. And didn't explain what it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> didn't say. Here's, yeah, she was just like, oh, well, I'll make you a prescription for this. Here's some pills. Just um, take them. So whatever. She, just take them. It's no big deal. Go ahead. And we always have to ask this is how did Clomid make you feel react? Because it, it has like two different directions in how it, 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 people <laughs> react to Clomid. Here's the crazy thing with Clomid, which is probably something that people identify with also, is that I didn't notice anything different, whereas my husband will tell you that I was an insane person. <laughs> so I didn't notice anything. I just thought, you know, I'm on this medication. This is what's going on. We're going boom, boom, boom. Because you also are thinking when you start the first thing, you're like, it's going to work right. instantly. And every time, <laughs> like, every well, step, you think of the next one. You're like, this one's going to work. I don't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And in his mind, he was like, she's an absolute maniac who's driving me crazy. <laughs> and, then, and nothing happened. So when I went back to that doctor, she was like, oh, so are you pregnant? <laughs> Like, like, I'm here, no. aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no. And she was like, okay. And then she wrote me a prescription for metformin. Again, didn't explain. No testing. No, like, discussion. She was like, here's metformin for you. And um, knock yourself out with that. Oh, and it might upset your stomach. No, it's a gestational <laughs> diabetes. It's a, it's a diabetes. Yeah. 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 And that was the thing is when you look it up, you... At first, you're looking it up and you see diabetes. Wait, so is she saying I have diabetes? But at the same time, this was at the beginning of my, you know, 
tenure as an advocate. So I didn't know to stop her and say, so what the hell? Like, right. <laughs> why are you? Is this your regular me? OB that's doing this? Not a reproductive endocrinologist yes. at that point. Okay. Yes. That was my regular OB. And so she put me on metformin. Um, it did not do anything. <laughs> um, and by that point, I had left that job. And so I didn't have insurance anymore. And so wow. I was just back to dealing with the ridiculous periods. And so I think my longest period lasted longer than Kim Kardashian's first marriage. It was that long. Wow. That I was just <laughs> like, I'm... I, I'm a zombie. I'm, I have no idea how I'm functioning because I should be dead if I'm bleeding this much. Yeah. And so at that point, I would just go to the ER because I couldn't get an appointment that wasn't like two months out. And I would be like calling and they'd be like, well, if you're not bleeding through a pad in an hour and it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm not bleeding through a pad in an hour, I'm bleeding through a pad <laughs> however long it takes, but I'm going through three boxes. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, and and I would go, it was to the point where I think one time I went to the ER and when they do the intake and they have you write down like what your your reason for your visit, I actually wrote menorrhagia. Because <laughs> you've and seen the it, diagnosis so often. I had seen it, yeah. And, and I had looked it up so much. And I think the intake nurse was like, uh, how do you? I, how do you know that term? And I'm like, because I keep coming back here and y'all keep sending me back home with birth control pills, which is counterproductive. Yeah, and I, by that point, I've been doing the blog for a while and I I got invited to lunch by a reproductive endocrinologist from St. Louis, Dr. Simkis, I think is his name. And he said, he was, he was looking at my skin and he said, you know, have you had them test you for polycystic ovary syndrome? Have you heard of that? And I was like, no. And he said, well, yeah, there's certain skin indicators, especially on women of color, where you can kind of see. And then also some of the symptoms that you describe in terms of thyroid could also be PCOS. You should ask your OBGYN. And at that wow. point, I had just gotten a new job. I had just gotten new insurance. So I was like, yes, I'm going to ask. And I went to the doctor and I was like, so I think it could be PCOS. And she was like, <laughs> she laughed. She oh, straight wow. up laughed and she was like, you know, these days everybody's got Google and they just think they're a doctor too. It's not, it's not PCOS. Wow. You, you don't have any cysts, so it's not PCOS. And we're just going to figure out what, what else we need to do with your thyroid and get your weight down um, and all these other things. And I was so deflated that I was just like too stunned to say, well, it was a doctor who gave me this suggestion. It wasn't Google and lady, I have a master's in library. Yeah. It was like, and on top of that, I have a master's in library science. Like I know how to research. I'm not like <laughs> fake researching. Right. Um, so it just, it really just upset me so bad that I couldn't even think of how to respond to her. I just kind of left really deflated. Cause at that point I've been so up and down and it had been so many years already that I just felt like nobody can help me. Nobody's going to tell me what I need and nobody really cares. And they think that this is normal for women. And I don't know what to do. I'm trying to lose weight, but it's not working. And I'm reading these articles that are saying, well, losing weight isn't easy when you have PCOS. But she's telling me I don't have it because I don't have cysts and I don't know what to do. Um, and it just so happened I called for a follow-up appointment 
and she wasn't available. And oh, good. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering if you're like, can I see the doctor? It, that's exactly what happened. One of the, the person who was who was answering the phone said, "Well, we have another physician who's available that day. Would you like to see her?" And I said. Yeah, can I switch to her? <laughs> um, and I went back and I saw her and I told her what I was thinking. And she nodded her head and she said, oh, absolutely. I think if that's what you think, I think we should look into that. And I've been with her ever since because she listened to me and she validated what I thought. And she she makes me feel like we're a partner in this. It's my health, but it's our, we're working together. She's a resource to help me achieve my health goals to the point where when we had done, um, she did the, the hysteral salpingogram. I always think I'm pronouncing it wrong. And she saw that the dye just wouldn't go. It just would not go. And we realized at that point, which had been like six years, seven years in, both of my tubes were blocked. Um, and it just pissed me off so bad because I was like, right. if Someone somebody had done found this, this in the yeah. first Save place me from- and listened to me in the first place, we would have known Clomid wasn't going to work ever. Metformin right. wasn't going to work ever. Timed intercourse doesn't because there's no way it's going to get through. Right. Um, and she, when she saw it, she came to the head of the bed and she said, Regina, you have gone as far as you could go. I know what you didn't want to do. Because she knew, I told her, I don't want to do IVF. Needles terrify me. I'd like to see everything I could do. And she came to the head of the bed and she was like, you did everything that you could. And I think it's time that we go to the RE. And I think that you'll be fine because you can go around the tubes. You did everything. And that just, I remember just crying on the bed because at first I was angry because I felt like I could have we could have fixed this. And then on top of that, I felt so heard, even in that moment where she had to tell me some really crappy news. She was still thinking about the things that I had told her. Um, And so she, she gave me a referral and I went to one of the fertility centers here um, in Illinois. And I remember going and getting excited once again, even though the cost of everything started feeling really crazy. And, um, I remember watching my husband in the in one of the consultations when they were going over our blood work and our baselines and everything. And the every single thing that she listed that we had going on, wow. I could see him get deflated. Aww. Because up until that point, he hadn't had to really think about it from his medical perspective. But once she started listing that like my AMH levels were the highest she'd ever seen and that there seems to be an issue on his side as well and that his diabetes... Uh. Um, and, and when he was a child, he'd had a, um, a hernia and that for some men can cause issues with their fertility in the future. And he had never heard that before. And so it just, I, and I then actually never heard that before until now. Yeah. Until now. So yay yeah. for educating me on something new today. <laughs> and I just remember we, we left and he just looked so down, like, damn, I thought, okay, so now what? Um, and we were all gung ho, like, okay, we're just gonna figure it out. We're just gonna try it. And then my job changed insurance providers and oh, wow. that was it covered. Oh. So it was like Illinois still covered insurance because Illinois is a mandated state, thank goodness. But my particular clinic no longer took the insurance that my job switched What'd to. You do? So then I was like, I don't even know where to start again from now. Cause I'm going to the place that's like the most 
you know, ranked in the, in the state. I, I thought I was onto something. What do I do now? Right. Um, and so I went on, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a librarian. So one of the things that I have been pushing is for the library to recognize National Infertility Awareness Week and to have programming that was relevant to yeah. National Infertility Awareness Week. And so I went on the Broken Brown Egg and I asked a lot of my followers if anyone had someone in Illinois who was a reproductive endocrinologist who'd be willing to come and speak as a part of this panel because I wanted someone who was going to be able to represent reproductive technology, foster care, adoption, um, and any other resources that I thought people could use. And I remember um, Terry Davidson, um, she messaged me and she was like, there's this doctor in Skokie, if you can get to her, it's, it's just outside Chicago, but she'd be willing to come out um, and, and be a part of your panel. And I, I reached out to that doctor, her name is Ann Burkowski, and she came out and she asked me what was going on with me. And at the time I was still at the other clinic and she was like, well, let me know how everything goes. And the next year I had her come back. And when she asked me what's going on with me, she was like, you're doing this whole program. What's going on with you? Um, and I told her, I said, well, I don't know. I said, we had tried, but in the, in the middle of, of us losing that first clinic, we had a relative wow. who was pregnant and she decided that she wasn't going to be able to parent. And she'd reached out to us and asked if we would adopt. Oh, wow. And so we had, and so we had moved forward with that. And, um, we got to in the car on the way to pick up the baby and she had changed her mind. Oh, and so we had been preparing for like three months or so. And now literally in the car outside of the hospital, she was just like, she had a change of heart. Um, and it's, and, and she has a family member too. It's a family member too. So it's yeah. like, you still have to see her and Thanksgiving she had, basically. She's been avoiding our calls. <laughs> that Is she telling you or how did you? Not even that, not even that. Let me tell you why I, I drink wine. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we got a call, we got a call after we left, um, cause we turned around and, and headed back home and we got a call from the, from a caseworker saying that she was unable to take the baby home, um, that there was a substance found in the baby system yeah. and that they needed a foster oh, family wow. for her because she wasn't able to take her home. Oh, so you went from thinking and you were adopting this baby to potentially having to foster the same baby. Is that? Oh yep. Yeah. And we had named her, we had come up with all kinds of, you know, things we had been preparing um, and got to the hospital and that happened. And then they called us and we, we were waiting to go pick her up. And we noticed that the name, when we would call, they were saying that they didn't have a baby that was that name. And so that's when we found out that she had changed her mind. And then when they asked us to step in as foster parents, then we found out that there was a whole new name and there was a whole new situation. Um, and my uncle, I remember, was like, do not foster that baby. Don't do it. He was like, you can't you can't separate. Your emotions aren't going to be able to to handle it. And I just remember feeling like, number one, if there's a baby that needs us, who is family, there's no question I'm going to do it because I just, 
I'm, I'm just going to do it. Um, and then on top of that, maybe she'll change her mind. Maybe she'll see that we're really good for her and, and that she'll, she'll think, you know what? Yes, she belongs with you guys. And so there's that starry eye thing. And yeah. so we did step in and we fostered for six months. Oh, right. Yeah. And we, we fostered her for six months. Um, it was a, it was an experience because it is family and you do want to be caring and, and, and kind, but at the same time, you know, they're moving on with their life and they are not always able to recognize that they've kind of put a wrench in yours or broken your heart, really. Right. And were you open with your family about infertility struggles at that point? Yes. Yes. So they, they knew. And that's why when, you know, when she was thinking that she was going to be unable to parent, um, you know, my mother-in-law was like, well, you know, have you, have you considered talking to Regina and Jabari? Because maybe they'd be interested in helping you or maybe they'd be interested. Um, and so it was one of those things where to us, we thought, you know, it was a opportunity that we could provide a service, but also kind of find some healing because the journey had been going on forever. It felt at that point. Yeah. Um, and so it was difficult because, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're not, I, I think it was partially because I didn't ever want to say anything to her that would make her not think that I'm doing the best I can for that baby. Cause I really still wanted her to kind of in the back of my mind, I kept yeah. thinking, maybe she'll see, maybe she'll see, maybe the caseworker will see, maybe somebody will say, look how good they're doing. Look how great they're doing. They're, they're taking the, they're taking her to the park. Right. They're reading her books. They're, I just kept trying to like get a good grade, I guess, somehow. Um, and it just, it didn't work out. And that, and that she's, she's been fine. She's been with her um, since that time. She's, she's almost eight as she tells me. <laughs> she's like just turned seven and she's like, I'm almost eight. Um, but she, <laughs> It, it, we were what that child needed at that time. And so I, I, it was difficult, but it was another learning experience because again, we had to grieve that now we've been, we've been grieving, you know, our ability to have children this whole time. And now we have to grieve the loss of actually having a child in our home who we had prepared to raise. And now that's different. And um, I assume you also put your fertility, your infertility journey. And on we put our things well. on hold. Yeah. And I can remember one of the most annoying memories I have was that she had said something to us that was, or to me that I felt was so disrespectful during, during all of this. And I thought I can have my own kids, you know? And I remember when I said it, I felt like a kid who was just like, I have my own toys. And I felt so small in that moment um, that when we came out of it, I think I had an even greater desire to like, I've got to figure this out before I lose it because I am so angry, but also I deserve to move out of this spot. I've been in this spot for, it seems like forever, but I don't know where to go. So I'm just going to wait and see what happens and keep doing what I know to do. Yeah. Um, and so that next uh, April, I did the national fertility awareness week yeah, event at the library again, and that reproductive endocrinologist came back. And when she asked me what was going on with me, I told her all of that that had taken place and that my insurance wasn't covering the clinic. And she was like, Regina, come see me. She was like, I'll take your insurance. Come Aww. see me. 
She was like, you've been in this. Yeah, she was like, you've been in this so long. You just need to get there. Come see me and let's see what we can do. Because I feel like you deserve to be able to do this. You've been doing and teaching and helping so many other people. You deserve this for yourself to at least see what your options are. <clears throat> and we went to see her. And I remember the day we went to see her, just the way that she spoke about things. It was a completely different experience for my husband than what I saw at the last clinic. Awesome. I saw him visibly. I saw him get brighter and sit up straighter because everything she went down on that list was like, oh, we can fix that. Oh, we'll handle that. Oh, wow. well, so good same thing. list, different outlook on the list, huh? Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And he felt so invigorated, like, cool. So wow. what do we got to do? And even to the point where while we were there, which was supposed to just be a consult, she was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and do like some baseline work right now, just so that we can get it out of the way. Let's just, you know what? Let's do it. Was just very like, let's go. And everything moved from that point. Everything moved from that day. Everything just moved boom, 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 boom. And then we did, we did, um, I did have to have another DNC, I think my third or fourth one at that point, because my body it packs up like it's preparing for Y2K at all times. So, <laughs> so I had, sorry, that's a great it, analogy. No, it just really is because every single time that I've had a DNC, they're like, yeah, so there's these golf ball size clotting and there's all this stuff. And so she, oh. she was like, I want to make sure that whatever we do has the highest success possible. So let's do this and make sure that this is a perfect place to place an embryo. Um, she was like, I know it feels like another setback, but I promise you, this is the best thing for us to do so that we are sure that yeah. we're putting an embryo in the best place possible. And I was like, well, I trust you. Let's go. And Joy, so we sorry, I have to, I have to loop you back. You said you're oh. afraid of needles. How did you get through a retrieval? Oh <laughs> my gosh. Oh my gosh. I think I just kind of talked myself into everything every day. <laughs> I would be in the car like, okay, you can't freak out. You're an adult. Don't, don't freak out. Don't freak out. You're an adult. And then I would give myself a treat. My husband did my shots for me, except for like there was one strip of time where I went out of town with my mom and my mom had to do my shots and she was terrified. Oh, <laughs> terrified. <laughs> but we had found, um, there was some yeah. really cool YouTube videos that we had found and we were just like, um, We've, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure this out. We're in it now. Let's go. Um, and so I would give myself a treat. So we would we would watch. I would have something on my, my, my phone to watch. It would be like Parks and Rec or something like that. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, we would be like, all right, and now we get ice cream. Or, you know, and now we get to get a Kit Kat or, or something to kind of make, make us feel like, you know, victory lap. I think... The, the strangest place that we did have to do a shot, I think I had to work one night and I had to like take my break, run out to the car, drive around the corner so that none of my teens would see me at my car and then do a shot in the back seat of the car. And then like come back into the library, like everything was fine, no big deal. Um, but you get over that fear of needles fairly quickly because you're just like, it's what I got to do. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Sorry. I, I, did, I totally didn't mean to interrupt. So now we can go back to where you were before about, you had mentioned it. I was like, I wonder how she did on that. Yeah. No, <laughs> no you get over it. 
so it, we we did the we did the one round of IVF, um, and it turned out to be uh, successful. And I wasn't really sure how I felt about it at that point because I think when you're so used to things going wrong, and at that point, so many things that we got excited about fell through. Um, that I think when even when the the nurse called, I was just like, I was first of all I was at work. And I shared an office at that time. So I was just like, oh, thank you for letting me know. Oh, I'll catch you later. <laughs> I have to say, for, for listeners, I love that blog post. It is so good. It just like, your your writing is beautiful. And it was like funny and just all the emotions. But I love your description where like, okay, she's supposed to call at this time. That's the bad news. And then she's just like, take your time. Like, how's your day? How are you feeling? Like, oh, it's got to be bad news. Why is she doing this to me? Yeah, no. That's Sorry, exactly. you, go, you go back to describing yeah, it. I, I love like, your writing about she, it. She told me before I left. First of all, I had raced to get there um, for the, the, the beta test. And I was like, for some reason that morning, all the streets were closed off. And it was like crazy town. I got lost. So I was in tears already. <laughs> Um, and then when I got there, she was like, okay, I'm going to let you know, I usually call the, you know, I, I, if it, if I call later in the day, it's usually cause those are the bad news. And I, I try to wait until later cause I, I have a hard time making those calls. So I went to work and I was just like, you know what, we're just going to pretend like we care about work today and do that. <laughs> and <laughs> And I, I mean, the benefit is I work with teenagers, so they keep you laughing <laughs> anyway. Right. But in the morning, they're still at school. So there's nobody in the library to kind of keep my brain occupied yet. So when she hadn't called by a certain point, I was like, she's not she's not going to call or she's going to call. And it's terrible news. And I've ruined everything. And I, I messed this up somewhere. And it's it's all going to blow up. And then when she finally called, she was like, hey. And I was like, hi. <laughs> and she was like, how you doing? And I'm like, she is a cat playing with her meal right now. Just just tell me that it's over so that I know when to come back so that we can discuss what to do next. And like in my head, I was just like wrapping it up. And she was like, well, you're pregnant. And I think I couldn't comprehend it at first. And I, I was like, like uh, okay, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Um, and I went outside and I called my husband and I, yeah, like, thank you so much. And I called him and he did the same thing because he also worked at a, at a job where he was on a front facing desk and everything. And he was like, oh, really? Really? That's good. Thanks. Thanks for telling <laughs> we were both like We were both like lost in the sauce, I guess. And, um, and so we were excited, but also very scared. And to the point where there were some people in the Broken Brown Eggs private group, they knew. And I still hadn't told my family for like weeks. And I mean, my mom included. I didn't tell anybody because I had this fear that I'm going to get everybody excited again. And then something's going to go wrong again. And either I'm going to have to then care for their feelings instead of my own, or they're going to start coddling me and I'm the strong one and that's going to make me feel uncomfortable and broken and angry and I don't have the capacity to be any of those things anymore so I just kind of kept it all to myself I remember the first time I actually said it at work 
there was an issue with some of the teens and um, there was a, a, a patron who was there and she was upset that I hadn't physically <laughs> intervened. And I was like, I can't, I'm pregnant. And that was the first time I had said it out loud. Um, and the kids were like, oh, Mr. Jr. You're like they were like perfectly fine. And I, in my head, I was like, I've just launched a missile. I was not supposed <laughs> to say that out loud. Um, and I, and I had friends who were like, so did you tell your mom yet? And I was like, no, cause I don't want to let her down. If something goes wrong, I don't want her to feel sorry or feel bad or feel like she doesn't know what she can yeah. do to help or, um, because that's the, that's a difficult thing too, is that, you know, with infertility, people don't know how to help you. They don't know what they're supposed to do or say. They're scared they're going to do or say the wrong thing. Um, or they're just frustrated that they don't know what to do. So they start telling you to do things because they're like, obviously you need to do it this way. And I think for my mom, she was just really, she's used to me being somewhat strong and resilient and she couldn't see how to support when things weren't going well. She was just kind of waiting for my lead and I didn't want her to feel any kind of anxiety about my sadness. And so I just was waiting and waiting. Um, and I don't think I told her for like a month or so. Like I, I couldn't, I could not bring myself to tell her. Weeks and weeks had gone past. That's a long time to hold it in, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I felt bad, but I also felt like I can't, I can't. Um, and so I didn't really tell like family, family until like really close to maybe December. Um, and we had known since like late October <laughs> and I just, but your mom had been giving you those shots so did your mom like actually know <laughs> I feel like she didn't she know actually at the time that she was giving me the shots we already knew oh. um and the shots were to the progesterone yeah, to, to, to help at the beginning of it oh it was the later yeah. part. Okay. and I hadn't told her even at that point and it, we were there we my mom and my aunt um, we would go away to a cabin in Michigan for just like a girls weekend. Um, and so when one of my aunts asked me in passing, like, how long do you think you're going to have to do these shots? I kind of whispered it to her because I could tell that she was just like bursting. Um, but I told her what I was like, but we don't, we're, this is, this is silent, silent, silent. Um, and I didn't say anything for a while after that. Mum was definitely the word as a, you know, no pun intended. Could not figure out how to, how to get my feelings together about that. And, um, and I was anxious. A good portion of the, of the pregnancy, I had a, a really tough time with anxiety and depression during because you're so used to that up and down and it's hard to get off yeah. of it. It's really hard to get off yeah. of it. Um, and did you have a generally normal pregnancy though? I did have gestational diabetes towards the end, okay. um, which really, really sucked because we had a candy bar at the baby shower and I got nothing from that. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no uh, pizza or anything like that, but I was at a point where I felt like you feel like you have to pay penance, you know? So it's like, I can't complain about that. I can't get upset about that. What do you need me to do next? Where do you need me to be? What do you need me to do? What? Okay, I need to eat that. Great. Okay, I need to do this. Fine. You felt like I, I felt like I can't. I can't say if anything's uncomfortable. I can't say if I don't like something. I can't show any form of ungratefulness during this because 
I, I wanted this and I'm the one who pushed it. So I have to be perfect. That's how I felt. I felt like I can't, I have to just be, I have to go along and, and smile and be happy. And that's just what it's going to be. And, um, but I, I was just so down in a lot of ways and I just did not know it, it was also pretty lonely because I had been in the, in the advocacy space for so many years that I didn't want to, I didn't want to inadvertently say something harmful. I didn't want to, um, I guess, appear to be bragging or I, I just, there was a tremendous amount of survivor's guilt. Um, and, and I didn't feel like I fit in with the, the quote unquote regular moms either. Um, because I felt like, you know, I was a children's librarian, so I'm working in the youth services department and they have story time every Tuesday and they're all coming in and the moms are like talking to each other and connecting with each other. And I just felt like I don't fit. And even there, you know, I work with the teens primarily. So those moms didn't really know me, but, uh, one of my coworkers was pregnant at the same time and they seemed so into, you know, asking how's she doing? How's the baby has, and they, nobody really knew me. So they didn't ask about me. So it was just one more feeling of feeling like othered, like, you know, I'm the only black person that works here. I'm the one that works with the teens who nobody wants to deal with teens. I'm not the one who does the story time. So they don't know me. It's just, I felt so othered all the time um, that I just had a really tough time trying to figure out where I fit. Um, and, and it lasted even after I had my son, I had a, a lot of postpartum anxieties when I had him, the, the pulse nightclub ish, uh, massacre happened. And so we, the, we were in a collective state of grief at that point as well. Cause we were caring for those thinking of those families and what they had just experienced. And, um, and then there was the 2016 presidential election. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there was a lot of grief. <sighs> Um, no, blocked it out. Yeah, there was a lot yeah, happening. Blocked it completely out. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of grief and anxiety and sadness all happening while I was trying to have this victory moment of like, yes, made it. And those feelings were, you know, contrasting so, so much. And um, when I finally went to a therapist, I just, the minute I sat in the chair, I started crying. The minute. And I just told her, I was like, I'm a basket case and I cannot do my job. And I feel like I'm failing on all fronts. And she was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Yes, you can. And she, she just tried to help me kind of wrap my mind around. There's an, an intense amount of emotions when you've had that long of a journey to get somewhere. You, you haven't given yourself a minute to to feel your feels. You've just been pushing along because that's what you do. But it's okay to like sit in it for a minute and recognize this is how I feel. And basically all the things that I tell people on my site about how they can feel, I wasn't being a very good listener to myself because I was telling everybody else, you're allowed to feel the feels. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to take a minute to breathe. You're allowed to say, I want to stop for a minute. You're allowed to say this sucks. You're allowed. And I was not allowing myself that same grace or liberty. It's, it's hard. It's one thing to tell someone else, like, this is what you should do for yourself. But then to, to take that, to take that advice yeah. can be really hard. 
Um, I, I know I, I thought that was an amazing part of your, your website, especially is that a lot of you and others sharing their feelings of anxiety and depression. I know I saw a post where it was someone who had tried to take their own life. And um, I was just, I, you know, what do you say to that? And I just felt like you're, you were so good at, at giving that response, giving that word, those words and being there for someone else. I was just amazed at what your website's doing, that resource and you being there for others and sharing your story. Yeah, cause, and, it's, and it's empowering for me because it, it, infertility takes so much of your voice away. It takes so much of your voice away because there's some things that are happening with your body that you have no control over. And it, I didn't know my tubes were blocked. I, don't even, I didn't even know how tubes got blocked. Like, what do you do with that? You can't fix that on your own. Like, what even is that? And it, it, it was just a feeling of feeling powerless. But when I get to say exactly how I'm feeling that is me getting giving my power back to myself and saying you know what this may be something going on with my body but it doesn't dictate how I feel about it and I don't have to be I don't have to word it the right way I don't have to have become the the expert I don't I'm the expert at being me (laughs) I'm the I'm the world's leading expert on me and so if I'm saying that this is how I feel guess what I'm right (laughs) And that felt good. That felt really good. And it felt like if that's something that I can give to other people is the ability to identify um, and to say, okay, yeah, I kind of feel that way too. And then in terms of black women, I didn't see any, any other women of color with blogs that were consistent. Um, I found that either they had decided to resolve that they weren't going to have children or be able to. And so they would, sometimes in sadness because they just couldn't deal with that anymore. They would close their site um, or they didn't ever share pictures. They would just be words because they needed to get the words out, but they didn't feel comfortable sharing themselves. And I felt like very strongly that there needed to be some kind of a representation that was going to put a face to it so that somebody who looks like me can say, oh, okay, so I'm not an anomaly inside of an, you know, I'm not a minority inside of a minority. There's somebody else who's having this experience. Because once I started talking about it, all kind of people in my family started coming out of the woodwork like, oh yeah, well, you know, I was on Clomid, but you know, if you don't do it this way, things don't work out like that. And and I was like, wait a minute, slow down, what? Um, or you find out that, you know, you, you, I, I remember I had a friend who did a, we'd done a, like a family tree project in high school or whatever. And she was doing an interview with her grandmother and found out that like the guy, the, the, the grandfather that she knew was not the family that he said he was from was not actually his birth family. We've just like taken each other's, you know, if someone needed someplace to stay their family now. Um, and so we weren't considering foster care or adoption as something that we did when, in fact, it's always been something that we've done. We just haven't done it in the traditional or, or you know, the legal, formal way, you know. And, and even in my family, the same thing. I've had relatives who are like, you just think of them, they're your aunt, they're your cousin. And then you, you do the research and you find out oh, no, there was a neighbor who passed away and her kids didn't have a place to live. And so this great aunt took them in and now they've been family ever since. And so while we're saying things to each other like, well, we don't adopt or we don't do foster care or 
you know, all of those things. It's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> and I, and, and the only person in my family who I knew who had done IVF, um, she's a, she's a lesbian. So I think a lot of my family thought that she's the only person who was going to experience reproductive technology at all. And so me speaking about it is so that my nieces know, no, ma'am, that's not, that's not what this is just for. This is, this affects all of us and that your body shouldn't catch you off guard. You know, like you should be able to know more about your body, not just from a stance of don't get pregnant. This is your body. You're walking around in it all day and you don't get an instruction manual. So the least you can do is to start writing one for yourself. How does my body work? What do I need to do to achieve the goals I have for it, which may not have anything to do with having kids. It may just be, hey, I'd like to not have a period that lasts 75 days. You know, like just basic instructions for the body that you're walking around in every day shouldn't be so taboo. And it shouldn't be from a fear based response. Don't get pregnant. Don't you know, you don't want to get an STD. You don't want this. It's like I don't want her. I don't want any of my nieces. I don't want myself, my friends, my contemporary, anybody. I don't want anybody to be afraid of their body. You're with you all day. Do you want to be in fear all day? I, I, I just don't want that anymore. And so it was just, it became a big deal to me to make sure that not only is the blog always up, even though I don't consistently post on the blog anymore, I'm more so on social media and things like that. I wanted to, I pay that hosting every month because I want it to be there as a guide or a resource or a beacon or something for people who are in those moments right now. So they can go back and see where I You're was. still active, though, in the, I, since I obviously met you at, you know, through Resolve. Oh, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I try to make myself available to Resolve. I try to make myself available to and connecting with, because I realize that's what my strength is, right? Like connecting people. I may not be the person who's giving out grants every year, but I do know I can put you in touch with the K Foundation and I can reach out to Camille and tell her, hey, I've got somebody who wants information about the grant. What's the deadline this year? Like, I've done the some of the legwork, and I can put people in touch with each other. Um, I may not have in-person um, support groups, but I can reach out and say, well, Fertility for Color Girls meets this day and this day. They have chapters here. Resolve has, you know, support groups here. So I try to be somebody that can at least help people not feel alone. And then when they get some of that off of them, then they have a little bit more energy to now go connect. Because at first you feel so alone and afraid and sad and scared that you just don't, you don't have the energy to be like, I'm going to the support group next week. No, I just, I just got okay with the fact that I need the support group. I'm not ready to go to it yet. So I try to at least give words to those feelings so that then they feel safe and comfortable. And then from there, then they're like, you know what? I do want to go to this event. Um, I also try to put up empowerment opportunities for people because getting your voice back, I feel like is half of it. So when um, people reach out to me for, you know, media or anything like that, I put that back to the community. I put that back in the Broken Brown Eggs support group. Like here's an empowerment opportunity. Would you be willing to do this study? Do you want to be a part of this article? 
Do you want to speak to this person? Just because I, it, it, it helped me so much to be able to speak up that anytime there's an opportunity for someone to speak up as well, I want them to have that and that they're receiving that from me somehow take some of the pressure off, I think, where I'm telling you, you know, I've talked to this researcher, this is what they're doing, this is what they're asking for, this is how it helps, and this is how it can help you. And it just takes some of the weight off while giving some of the power back. So I'm, I'm definitely still active. I, I'm always... And I'm sure on Instagram or, or Facebook. I do Real Talk Tuesdays. Yeah, I, I, I'm on, I do Real Talk Tuesdays every Tuesday when I when I can. Do you want to share where you are now? I know we've we kind of gave gave the ending away, but do you have a son? How how are things this moment? In your life? I do. I have uh, our son's name is Judah. He was born seven years to the day that I started the Broken Brown Egg. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, wow. So he, That's like quite a due date, huh? <laughs> yeah. So he and the egg have the same birthday. Um, and so he turned four and the broken brown egg turned 11 last week, last Wednesday. Aww. So Happy he birthday. is. Thank you. He, he bosses me around. He tells me what to do. Um, he, is the, he is the boss. And, and I, I am so proud of myself for listening to myself. Because if I had let that doctor tell me, no, it's not PCOS, and I'd stopped there, I can't imagine. And if I had never started the Broken Brown Egg, I would have never had the resource to ask for somebody to come speak at that panel to meet that doctor to get to where I, like all of those things that were excruciating in the moment, it's like each one was timed perfectly I just couldn't see it then. Right, right. Each step gets you to the place you need yeah. to be. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. It's such an incredible story. And I'm so thankful that you were able to come and share with us. And um, I, we're going to, obviously, when we put this up, we will put uh, some more links. So hopefully more people will be able to find you via Broken Brown Egg. Um, and <sighs> any, any parting... Uh, eloquence for people who are going through infertility themselves uh what a couple like, oh, why'd you put me on the spot like that no. <laughs> <laughs> no a couple of things i think one is you're allowed to listen to yourself you know you're the you're the world's leading expert on you if you feel like something's off if you feel like something's wrong if you want a second opinion if you want to stop for a little while if you want to Try something that no one else in your family has tried. Or if you want to start speaking up about it, you're the right to do all of those things because you're the expert on you. You may not be the doctor. You may not be, you know, the scientist or whatever, but you know enough about yourself to say what you need in the moment. Even if it's just, I need to yell. <laughs> I need to yell. I need to cry. I need to scream. And then the other thing that I try to tell everybody is that, um, infertility is bigger than babies. So, you know, having the baby doesn't cure the infertility, doesn't cure the feelings. It doesn't, it doesn't take away the parts of it that may have changed you. And so it's okay to honor that and recognize that you matter in the midst of this. You're not just a thing trying to get to a goal. You're a person having an experience. Um, and so you get to take some time and, and care for yourself and love on yourself 
in the midst of it. Oh, I love it. That is a perfect way to go out. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thanks again for inviting me. Our pleasure. Thank you, Regina, so much for sharing your story and for all that you do for, for the community. We, it's incredibly appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of appreciation, because, you know, I always have to tie back to exactly the word you used because that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) We would appreciate it so greatly if people would leave. I'm going to start using crazy words. I'm going to end with like super califragilis or something. Okay. I challenge accepted. Okay. We'll see what I can do (laughs) next time. (laughs) Okay. But for now, if we would appreciate it, if people would leave reviews for us on iTunes, uh, if you want to leave us a phone message at 303-997-1903 or send us an email, we would always, always love to hear from you, uh, especially because we, we always want to know who you want to hear from and what we may be missing because there's always things that we may, may not have thought of or things like that that we're happy to track people down. Um, in the meantime, though, until we hear from you, we want to express our Obviously, deep, heartfelt appreciation to our team, who is always wonderful, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Lexi, and of course, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who all make us feel fantastic, and we hope at least sound pretty darn good. So, (laughs) thank you to them, and thank you to you all for listening. 